today is a a really special day as we celebrate the sanctity of life. On January 13th, 1984, President Ronald Reagan issued a proclamation designating January 22nd as the first national sanctity of human life day. So January 22nd is the anniversary of the U.S. Supreme Court with the Roe v. Wade decision that legalized abortion in all 50 states. And that was tomorrow, 45 years ago. And so churches across America, and and we have taken this up as well, on the third Sunday of January, the Sunday closest to that anniversary, we spend some time either talking about the sanctity of life or or praying for some of our our partners, our crisis pregnancy center partner. We're going to do a little bit of that today. A couple of years ago, we went through and we talked about abortion and we talked about a, a defense of life an apologetic against abortion. And if you are still wondering how can you present some of the arguments against abortion, I encourage you to go back and listen to that podcast from a a couple years ago because we just outlined a number of the, not only the biblical reasons, but the scientific reasons. And it's interesting because we're seeing, and this is good news, we're seeing a growing pro-life understanding in America. We're seeing the, the tide turning and we praise God for that. And that's especially as science is improving and and the the study of embryology is improving. We know now that that is a life in the womb. That is a human life. And there is really no denying that. And so the arguments for pro-abortion are no, well, they they try to say, you know, my my body, my choice. That's just false. We know that from DNA. And and so we see this divide and, and there's hope there, but there is still a divide in this country. And when we talk about the sanctity of human life, we're not just talking about abortion, but how do we defend life through the entire, from conception to death, through the entire range of life? And we're seeing, unfortunately, different decisions made at the end of life that are driving that uh, against life and, and to a pro-death culture. You know, this week we still got to see that our, our country was deeply divided, right? Earlier in the week, we saw the pro-life marches. And then yesterday, we saw some of the the women's marches. And there's a whole lot of reasons people may have been marching there. But some of the signs I saw just grieved my heart as they were were pro-abortion. And willing to kill what we now know for a fact is human life on the altar of convenience. And on the altar of self. And so today we want to to look at some of the foundations for why are we pro-life? Why do we believe in the sanctity of life? See, the thing is, is if there is no basis for life, if life came about by evolution, by random chance, then there is no basis for the sanctity of human life. And and understand this, if, if we have value, if life has value, that value has to come from somewhere. If it's a random collection of mutations, then your value is no different than this music stand. And so why wouldn't we have a culture that's willing to use and abuse women for personal preferences? Why wouldn't we have a culture that is willing to kill babies because we don't like the the effect that might happen on our life? Why wouldn't we be willing to let someone die early or help someone die early because they are an inconvenience on my schedule. So there has to be something more when we talk about pro-life and the sanctity of life. There has to be a foundation. And so today I want to give us a theological foundation. And some of the points today, you may, well, that's not sanctity of life. It is. 
because we are setting a foundation for why life is valuable. As believers, we take a stand. We take a stand for the sanctity of life from conception to the end of life. And we want to continue to take that stand. To do that, we have to be knowledgeable of why life is valuable. We need to be knowledgeable of the issues and be willing to speak up. In our church constitution, we've chosen to right there, put in in writing what we believe about life. And I, I have a slide. It's in your notes as well. We believe that life begins at conception and that since all humans are created in God's image, all unborn children have intrinsic value and are to be treasured and nurtured. Willfully taking the life of an unborn child, except when the life of the mother is threatened, is reprehensible to God and against his will. And I've highlighted there the phrase that I want to just do a deep dive on today, created in God's image. What does that mean? What does that what did that look like back then? And and I've heard so many discussions of what in God's image means. And so I want to look at some of the different options, look at the, the breadth of what that means. And as I've studied it this week, I have come just to, to, to an awe of what God did in creation, A, a newfound sense of awe. As I see what he has done by placing his image in us as human beings. I think this is a phrase that we don't think about that often. We throw it around a lot. We're made in God's image. And and we sort of have this vague idea of what that means. But I think it means more than we we think it means. And I'd like to show that from Scripture. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28. That will be our starting point. Then we'll jump off to a number of other Scriptures. In your notes, I've put some verses that we're not going to get to today. So if you want to study more this week, you can. But Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And we go back to creation. We go back to how did this start? And this idea of the sanctity of human life and the image of God is one of the reasons why the, the story of creation and the theology of creation is so important. Sometimes people tell me, well... Why can't you just give up a six-day creation? Why can't you just give up and and go with evolution? Because so much is riding on this truth. So much. If you give up up creation, and if you give up the concept of a creator, you give up the worth of the human life. And that's, that's been one of the goals, I think, of the secular movement. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And point number one, and... These points will just sort of go in a logical progression and and help us uh, organize our thoughts. All humans are made in the image of God. All humans, and I'm meaning from conception to the end of life, are made in the image of God. Let's look at Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, and and everything else is created now, and he comes to the creation of man on the sixth day. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And he's, he's now discussing his intention to create. And he says, let's make man in our image after our likeness. And the words there, the, the Hebrew words there are really interesting. And some have tried to make a lot of distinction between the two and the different parts of man. They're really saying the same thing. In Hebrew, you had a lot of parallelism and, and often two different words are used to help us understand one concept. But the, the word for image there. Um, in Hebrew, let's learn some Hebrew this morning, right? Say, tselem. 
Tselem. It's a T-S, so Tselem. Okay, and that means image or likeness, just like it's translated, a resemblance. It means a representation resembling someone or something. And so it is a, a representation of someone else or something else, an image of that. At times, this word was used of idols because, like, if you think of the golden calf, those were what? A representation of the, the calf, right? Of a golden calf. And so that's this word for image. It's a representation or a likeness, a resemblance. Not identical, but similar. The word for likeness is demuth. That one's a little easier. Demuth. Okay, you've, you've learned Hebrew. You, you've, you can go home happy. Use those at lunch and impress people. Demuth means to shape or model or resemble. Um, a, another word for that is a figurine. If you think that you guys have little figurines that represent something, and when you see that figurine, do you think that that is that thing? No, but it, it reminds you it's the likeness. I have an illustration this morning. I don't know if you can see this. What is this? A stormtrooper? This is a stormtrooper? It's a toy. <laughs> Hey, I got this at the young adult Christmas gathering. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it, it, is it a stormtrooper? Trick question, right? Yes, it is, but no, it isn't, right? It resembles a stormtrooper. It's, it's the image of a stormtrooper. It brings that to mind. In fact, you could say it has a lot of the features of a stormtrooper, right? has a little... Um, this is a shock trooper, actually, if I need to be specific, has a little shock sword and um, little helmet and armor. And I can't believe I'm playing with a Star Wars toy on Sunday morning. Um, what? <laughs> but that is an image of a stormtrooper. We're going to leave that there. We're going to come back to that to illustrate one of the other points. I bet you can't wait. Um, <laughs> But, but the key there is, and, and the parallel here, is that this represents a stormtrooper. It has a lot of the features of a stormtrooper. When we talk about that we are made in God's image, he has taken his characteristics and created them into us, infused those into us, and so we are like him. Now, the reason why I wanted to bring this up is I don't want you to go away thinking we are God. Being in the image of God does not mean we are God. But we have characteristics that he has bestowed on us and created into us. And so I want to explore what does this mean? What does image mean? Because there is something unique about the human race that is different from all of their creation. You are different from a cat in God's eyes. You are different from a dog in God's eyes. Now, now you laugh and chuckle because that's common sense, right? I didn't have to teach that to my kids. But we live in a culture where sometimes those animals' lives are valued more than those human lives. Don't we? It's this culture of death. And that comes from losing the image of God. You can go to jail for, for taking the puppies from a, a, a pregnant pu- a puppy mom. No, a pregnant dog. Sorry. So I should stick to my notes. <laughs> but you can be celebrated for taking the life of a child. We live in a mixed up, 
crazy world that has lost what it means to be made in the image of God. And so when we talk about the image of God, we are talking about something completely other from all of creation. We are different. And we need to celebrate that and recognize that. So in that verse, in verse 26 there, when it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. He is saying something very profound there of saying, we're going to make man with similar characteristics to us. We're going to take our characteristics that are able to be passed on and we are going to create them into man to create something completely different with a different purpose than animals, with, with, an adi- with a different ability than animals. And we, we get, catch, we get um, hints of that as the verse goes on. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God, and here's the act, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So we're talking mankind. And God blessed them. And he goes on to give commands. And so when we think of the image of God, I want us to think of a representation. Now, as you, as you hear people talk about the image of God, as you study the image of God, there are all kinds of debates about what that means. And so some people will say it is completely about he gave us a will. That is the image of God in us. And others will say, well, he gave us the ability to have relationship with him or the ability to have relationships with others. That's the image of God. Some people will say he gave us a a moral aptitude and moral responsibility, and that's the image of God. And the problem with all of those things is they limit the image of God to one item. And and we some, for some reason, think we need to come back to one item. And, And think of the little stormtrooper here again. When we say this represents a stormtrooper, is it just in one way? No, it's in a whole number of ways. There's a whole number of features there that represent the stormtrooper. So when we think image of God, and, and, and please don't think that God has a physical body. God is spirit. And so as we talk through some of the ways we're in the image of God, he has taken his, his immaterial attributes because he is spirit, and those are the parts of the image of God that he has put in us. But we need to think all of those attributes that he has put within us and not just one. A couple of definitions I have in your notes that I think are helpful. Um, One is by by Wayne Grudem in his systematic um, theology book. It says, man is like God and represents God. Man is like God and represents God. And he's distilling down a whole number of these views into one short, rememberable definition. And that, that's actually where we're going to go. And I, in my notes, I went to Grudem at the end, and in my notes, I had that the image of God is who we are and what we do. And I thought he did a better job of, of wording that than I did. So man is like God and represents God, but that's what it is. It's who we are, we're like God, and what we do is we represent God. And so we'll look at both of those, those things. Second definition I have in your notes is really a longer definition that that outlines a number of the ways we're made in the image of God. God creates in us his communicable qualities. And and just to explain words, communicable are those qualities he can pass on. So God doesn't pass on omniscience to us. You may think he does sometimes that you're all-knowing. You're not. 
that that is an incommunicable attribute that he doesn't pass on or that he is everywhere at all times. And and those are attributes he doesn't pass on. But there are other attributes like his love and his mercy and some of the other attributes we've talked about that are communicable, that are qualities. Those things he has infused as part of his image that allow us to be persons with a moral character, reason, and will and an ability to be in relationship with him. We're going to break down a a number of those things. Another author, for their definition, put, the image of God are those qualities of God that reflected in human beings make worship, personal interaction, and work possible. And so what we see here is it's a whole number of attributes that God has built into humankind. What a marvelous gift. What love and care he took to form Adam and Eve, to bring those into who he is. The primary way to think of the image of God is that first question, though, who we are, or man is like God in the first part of Grudem's definition. And this is, is, would be the sub- substantive view of the image of God, that there is a substance that God creates into us, And I think this is the most helpful uh, way to think of the image of God and the primary way to think of this is that he has built these substances or these character qualities, these qualities into us. And so this covers every way we are like God. And think for a minute of your kids. Uh, Many of you have kids. Some of you may not, but some of you have kids. Isn't it amazing that your kids grab a lot of your characteristics? Good and not so good. They're incredible little mirrors, both of the positive and the negative. And so in many ways, they are in our image. They have some of our characteristics, some of the way we do things, some of the way we think, some of our weaknesses, some of our strengths. As human beings, they're in our image physically. You know, so many times a baby's born and, and you moms especially will go, oh, he looks just like dad or he looks just like mom. I never see it, but that's a whole different discussion looks like a baby. I, I don't know. <laughs> Usually when they're in their teens, I'm like, oh, yeah, it looks like dad, <laughs> looks like mom. But that's all part of being made in the image of someone. And so we're created in the image of God. First way to think of, that we're created in the image of God is that we have an eternal soul. That's personhood. We have an eternal soul. We're created for the supernatural. When you think of God, he has an immortal um, personhood that he has passed on to us. This allows our spiritual interactions with God. It means our soul will never die. That soul is immortal, which also brings an incredible importance to the decisions we make about Jesus here because our immortal soul will either be in eternity with God or eternity separated from God. But that is something that is given to us as part of the image of God that is completely other than the animal world. Your cat does not have an immortal soul. Sorry. But you do. And that is a beautiful thing. Second thing is we have a a moral character, or immoral at times. But this is the capacity to make moral decisions. This is a sense of right and wrong. It also means we will be held morally accountable for our actions. And and again, going back to the animal thing, if your cat tears up your furniture or, or he pees on your bed in the middle of the night, 
that cat didn't have a sense of right or wrong about it. Now, they may sense an impending doom for what you're going to do to them, but that is different from a sense of right and wrong. That moral capacity to to think through things from a moral standpoint is unique to human beings because it comes from the image of God. And again, that's sobering because we're held morally accountable for our actions. Your pet isn't. Third thing there is we have an ability to cognitively, cognitively think and reason. An ability to cognitively think and reason. We have a will. We, we make choices. We make decisions. We think through things. We look ahead and we make plans. Those are all part of the character of God. Those we would not have if the image of God was not given to us. Again, your, your pet did not plan for two weeks to tear up something in your house. They just did it. They act on instinct. Oh, look, couch. What else do you do with couch? You tear it up. Human beings have a different way of reasoning, a will and a, and a reasoning capacity that animals do not. Fourth one there is because we are in the image of God, we are able to have relationship with God. Because we are in the image of God, we are able to have relationship with God. That relational capacity is part of the image of God that has been created in us. And we can say, well, you know, my pets, I have a relationship with my pets. You do. Somewhat. It's not the same as the relational capacity we have as human beings and the relational capacity we have with God. Now, now again, this is one of the views of, of image of God. Some people take this as the only part of the image of God. And this would be a relational view of the image of God, it's called. Where they say the only thing that God gave us is a, a capacity for relationships. And it's missing the whole point of all of these other attributes. All of these other things. One author summarized all of these things as the image of God is a nature encompassing all that constitutes personality or selfhood, intelligence, will, and emotions. And we could go on and on, but these are just four different broad categories that represent that God has instilled many parts of his character in us, and that's the, the image of God, not just one. We should appreciate that. Another point that that you saw in verse 27 there. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. All humans are made in the image of God. That's the point of this. But the sub-point is male and female. Male and female. Men, women, neither of the genders has an inside track on the image of God. And so we value each other as showing the image of God. This gives value to to understanding the worth of the different genders and how we should relate to each other and how we should protect and honor each other. Because men, your wife is made in the image of God with those attributes, with that special care that God has given, with all of those abilities to have relationship and to the, the moral abilities and the eternal soul made in the image of God. That's sobering. Wives, your husbands, are made in the image of God. And we need to treat them as such and understand how important that is.
I think it's really interesting that the Genesis 1, 26 through 28 story immediately follows the creation of the animals. And if you just look up a couple verses in your Bible, 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. And, and if you read that, he keeps saying according to their kinds and according to their kinds. And then we get to 26, where our text for today, and it says, then God said, and there's a, a contrast there, then God said, let us make man in our image according to God's kind. And, and, and the, the, the readers of, of a Hebrew story like this wouldn't have missed that difference, that change of tone. It is an incredible thing that God has given us his image, his character, his ability to, to be rational, a soul that will last for all eternity. And then we go to the what we do part of being an image bearer, of being made in the image of God. And in verse 28, we see that, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And we go right from the creation of man in the image of God to what they're supposed to do with it. Now again, some have taken the functional view of the image of God and said that our, our job as image bearers is what defines us as, as being made in the image of God. What he's given us. We, we shouldn't think of that. These things are a result of being made in the image of God. But those Hebrew words that, that you learned and are going to use at lunch, those also mean to be a representative of God. And, and so image bearing not only means God has taken his character and his qualities and infused those in us, but it also means I represent him. I represent him on earth. And that's a sobering thing. And that gives us value and, and helps us value each other. And so sometimes we think of image of God as, as just a noun of something God has placed in us. But I also want you to go away today thinking of it as a verb. That we're imagers of God. We're image bearers, but we're imagers of God. This is what we do. And it's interesting, you see that in verse 28. What's the first command that he gave? first command was to create life to copy god and create life be fruitful multiply fill the earth that means to create life and to reproduce and as they do that they are image bearing what god did when he created all of creation when he created life and as we do that we are like god we are not god but we are like him in terms of we are showing his image. And so image bearers, we see right from the start, we're to seek and value and celebrate life as opposed to our culture of death we live in. Man, baby showers should be awesome events for women. <laughs> Maybe as men we find another way to celebrate um, with, with the dads. But this is a celebration of life. This is the celebration that God has placed his image he has placed his image on that unborn child. And we celebrate life because of that. Now, I, I, I want to just, just give a side word. I know that many, and including Susie and I, we've struggled with infertility. And that's one of the struggles with infertility is how much we celebrate life. 
And when you can't create that, and when you can't do what God has put on your heart, that is so much a struggle. And my heart goes out to any of you that are dealing with that. And, and just because there's a struggle with infertility doesn't mean we don't celebrate life. It doesn't mean you're not celebrating life. It means that God has allowed circumstances in your life that he is going to use for his glory. He is going to use for his glory. And so we mourn and we weep through that, but we trust that God, the God of life, is doing something beyond ourselves. But the difference is we live in a world where the rate of couples starting to choose not to have kids because it might impact their travel schedule is growing. And that's coming from a culture of death, not of life. We see the next thing that the instructions are given to subdue creation, to have dominion over creation. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God, again, has placed his image on us that he is God and Lord over all. And then as imagers of God, we then are stewards and do the same thing of the earth that he has entrusted to us. And when you start to think of ourselves as made in the image of God and imagers of God, all of Scripture just starts to to make more sense of why he's having us do these things and what he's having us do and the importance of doing these things. And so being made in the image of God is who we are, but also what we do. Now, point number two really gets into the reality. Because we can say that we, we, are, we were made, and Adam and Eve were made with God's character infused on them, with the image of God, but we look around now and it just doesn't look that way. We look around now, and the image of God has been stained. And point number two there is sin corrupts our representation of God, but does not remove the image of God. And that is such an important point that, again, is argued in all kinds of circles that the image of God did not disappear off of you at the fall. It does not disappear when we sin, but sin corrupts our representation of God. When we sin, are we being good representatives of God? No. We are giving a false representation of God. But the image of God is still in us. It's been stained and tainted by this Genesis 3 world and the sin in our lives, and that has changed us from a Genesis 1 world where the image of God shone brightly. And back to, back to this is a hard concept to understand, so this is really why I brought the figurine. If I was to take this, this little stormtrooper dude and just smother it with dirt... And and not a pile of dirt, but you could still see it, but just make it all dirty. Could you still tell it was a stormtrooper? Yeah. Or if I was to paint it pink. Or let my daughter paint it pink. You'd be like, it's still a stormtrooper, but it's been corrupted. (laughs) It's been corrupted. So many. And and that is a picture of, of, uh, it's, it's a poor illustration, but hopefully a practical one that helps us understand what sin has done to the image of God. It has stained it, it has soiled it, but the image of God is still there. We, we know this from a whole number of passages. In Genesis 9-6 and in James 3-9, but one talking about murder and why we shouldn't murder, another talking about how we speak to each other. Both of them are after the fall, and both of them use the image of God as their argument. And we'll look at that in point four coming up. But... The image of God is still present in a fallen world. 
And then I, I don't have to convince you that this is a fallen world. Turn with me to Colossians 3, 9 through 14. Colossians 3, 9 through 14. A verse, and, and on your own you can read Ephesians 4, 20 through, through 24. They're parallel passages. But in Colossians 3, 9 through 14, we, we get this, this tension between what sin has done to the image of God, but we're still made in the image of God. And it says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And he's talking about the old man and all the sin that comes with it, and that that has tainted the image of God. And we see that wording in verse 10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And, and what Paul is saying through the Holy Spirit there is there are ways that the image of, create, of the Creator has been tainted. It has been stained in us. And in fact, the whole process of sanctification that you and I are living in now is God day by day bringing us closer to His go- glory as He sanctifies us and strips away the dirt and the mud that are, that are covering the image of God and revealing the image of God that's still there as we become more Christ-like. And so Paul says, renewed in knowledge after the image of God. And he goes on, and I think this is a great passage for the sanctity of life coming out of the image of God. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And the worth comes from Christ being in us. And ultimately the image of God in us. See, even though we live in a sin-tainted world, there is a universality to the image of God in us. This goes back to point one. Every human being is made in the image of God. Even if we're poor representatives of Him right now. Point number three. Just a quick point. All image bearers belong to God. All image bearers belong to God. By implication, since he created us, he owns us in a sense. He is over us and we have allegiance to him. He has placed his image on us and so we belong to him. It really looks like this is what Jesus is referring to in Mark 12, 13 through 17. Remember the, the, the Pharisees come and want to trap him. And they they um, come and say, should you pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus said, can't I have a coin? I have a coin. He pulls out the coin. He says, whose image is on the coin? And they said, the image of Caesar. So he says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And the context there is whose image is on those things. And the coin has Caesar's image, but we have God's image. And so our allegiance is to be to God. Because we belong to him. We are his sons and his daughters. And so we render to God ourselves as image bearers of God. I hope just as we've spent 20 minutes briefly going through these things, it's just started to, to touch on how much of in awe we should be that we are made in the image of God. How much value that, that should bring to keep us from seeing people as things and to see people as image bearers. Every person you pass on the way home, including the guy that cuts you off, is an image bearer and valuable to God 
Every person you meet this week is an image bearer. Some don't know God, but they're still made in His image. Sin has has tainted that, and they need Jesus, but they are still made in His image. Your boss this week is an image bearer. No matter what he or she does. The noisy neighbor is an image bearer. Do you get how this starts to change our thinking? To valuing people, to valuing life. And that comes to the fourth point, the conclusion. All people have divine value as image bearers. All people have divine value as image bearers. Treat and defend them accordingly. You know, in Genesis 9-6, when he's talking about murder, God says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And the foundation for, for punishing murder is that that person you murdered was an image bearer. They were made with God's image as part of who they are. And that brings value. See, if you kill an image of God, you are in some way acting out against God. If I have a voodoo doll, and let's say I have a voodoo doll. Chris, can I use you as an example this morning? I have a voodoo doll of Chris, shirt and all, okay? And I'm up here, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to tear his head off. And that might be a little offensive to you. <laughs> we're, we're good, by the way. We're fine. <laughs> That's offensive to you because that doll represents him. And so what I do, if I'm pounding on that doll, and not in fun, but, you know, I, he's like, wait a minute here. There's some, some latent hostility there that you haven't shared or something. I mean, there's, if we, and when we take things out, when we don't defend life, when we treat image bearers, in a way that God would not have us treat, that is offensive to the person they represent. And it is directly opposed to the person they represent. James 3.9, same argument. They talk about our tongue and how powerful our tongue is. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And he's saying, be careful how you talk to people because that person is made in the likeness of God, in the image of God. Do you see how pervasive this concept is and how foundational it is to how we treat and defend life? If we struggle with how we treat people, we're probably struggling with understanding the image of God in them and their value to God, their worth to God. And so we, we, we boldly say every human regardless of the stage of development, is an image bearer. Every human. C.S. Lewis worded it this way, you have never met a mere mortal. If we love God, if we truly love God, we will honor His image bearers, we will protect, and we will love them. And so that's foundational to the sanctity of life. So womb to tomb, how do we defend life? How do we value life? And, and, at, and, and life is being attacked at all stages, from, from conception to death to everywhere in between. Life in our culture is being attacked. So how do we do this? And it starts at the beginning of life. We stand against abortion boldly. Guys, this is a winnable argument. It used to be that everyone would say, oh, that's just a religious argument. You're just a religious kook. No, this is a winnable argument from science. And we need to know those arguments and know how to lead someone through that. 
But, but this world we live in is struggling with this. Iceland announced this year that they have eliminated Down syndrome from their culture. Do you know how they did that? They killed all the babies in the womb that they thought had Down syndrome. That is atrocious. We should grieve over that, not celebrate that. That's the world we live in that we stand against. My body, my choice is hilariously wrong, and it's deadly wrong. Because we know from DNA that that is not their body. Some ways that we can talk well about the beginning of life. We need to be intentional with our terms. I don't know if you caught it. Even today, I'm using terms of unborn children or unborn human rather than embryo or fetus. We need to use those terms. That's truth. That's truth. Terms like embryo and fetus are attempting to dehumanize image bearers. Little boys and little girls that are image bearers. We need to vote with life in mind. This is a year of an election. And, and you, you can argue with me. We can talk about it. I would argue that abortion and, and pro-life and pro-choice is a litmus test for voting. That no believer should ever vote for a candidate that is pro-abortion. I don't care what political party they are. Because if we get life wrong, if we get the sanctity of life wrong at conception, we will get it wrong at every stage. We won't know how to value life of those in need, of the poor, of the minorities. We won't know how to do those things. And so the issue of abortion is a test for me. I will never vote for a candidate that is pro-abortion. I would rather not vote. That's how important this issue is. We need to read and be ready to discuss. And I put some resources on the back of your notes, some pro-life resources that are excellent. I posted on our Facebook and on our website yesterday the current 21 days for prayer for, for life. Read those. Pray through them. Understand. We need to support pr- crisis pregnancy centers. And um, I was going to show a video from... From Horizon, I don't think we're going to have time this morning. I'll put it on the website or on on the Facebook group a little bit later. Um, We need to be praying for them. We need to be supporting them. A whole number of other options. But sanctity of life goes beyond the issue of abortion. Sanctity of life goes to the issue of racism. There is no place for racism of any sort. And you've heard us say that we are equal at the foot of the cross. Why are we equal? Because every person, no matter skin color, no matter country they're from, no matter nationality, is made in the image of God. They are like God. And so we value and defend them equally as image bearers. And so we need to stand for that. And we may not see as much of that sometimes in our circles, but we need to realize that there is still racism in America and we need to stand against it. It is evil. That is an issue of the sanctity of life. This year, we've seen so many revelations on the sexual abuse of women. This is a sanctity of life issue. This is a valuing of image bearers issue. And we should stand against that again, no matter the political party. Because we are called to protect and defend all image bearers and men, especially the women in our lives. And so we stand and we grieve with those women. 
and we make sure that the men who are doing those things will never do it again. And that is honoring life. When we come to end of life and assisted suicide and euthanasia, if we see every individual as an image bearer, we don't end life on our own. We leave that up to the, the owner of that life, the creator of that life. And we're seeing state after state pass laws to make euthanasia legal. But no, the bigger picture is what is our view of the elderly? What is our view of of aging? We, We live in a young culture where so many times the aged are thrown away and that again is evil, that is wrong, that wisdom we are losing Are we willing to care for the elderly in our lives? To stay engaged? Because they are image bearers and their life has value. The invisible must be protected. So many are willing to sacrifice the invisible for their own goals. And it is never right. Those are just a few examples that hopefully get the ball rolling in our heads. We are image bearers, and so we celebrate life and the sanctity of life. I'd like to close with just a time of, of prayer and reflection. And Joshua, I still want you to sing the song. We're going to go just a couple more minutes. Um, the words of his song, this is a song that actually was used in worship at the Evangelicals for Life Conference this year. And the words help us really value life and understand the 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 culture of death and its hold on us. And as he does, just listen to the words, but also pray. Pray for our country and pray for these elements uh, where, where life is devalued, where image bearers are not seen as image bearers, but are things and stuff. Pray for Horizon, the pregnancy clinic we support and we partner with. Over 219 babies were saved last year through their work. Over 700 education and parenting classes were given to families. Many women were, saw the forgiveness of God in post-abortion recovery classes. There's all kinds of ways we can support them. Pray for our country that the tide of life would turn. Pray for us that we would have a voice and be part of that. Just bow your heads. Listen to the words. And pray. From my mother's womb 
children of God, Lord, you are stripping away that mud and that grime and showing your image to a world. Help us to show that brightly. Help us to stand and defend life. Help us to be image bearers, good image bearers this week as we honor and serve you. Thank you for a heart here for life, a heart that wants to defend life. May we continue to do so. In Jesus' name.